Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Let me take a little poll. How many married folks, first of all, how many married folks are in the building? All right, now you got to pay attention and help me out. Okay, married folks. Okay, so now the same ones that just raised your hand, you have to at least uh, consider this question. How many married folks you were shocked to realize after you got married how different men and women are? How many of you are like really shocked, like... They're aliens, like, I mean, almost like, how in the world do you process that that way? It, 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 just, just me and Patty or anybody? Okay. Phew, all right. Uh, and we are very different. I, I heard somebody say, in fact, I, there might be a book on this. I could be wrong. Somebody said this to me one time years ago, and it stuck, that men are like waffles, okay? So, ladies, let me help you out. Men are very compartmentalized. We can have a knockdown, drag-out argument, and 30 seconds later, like, hey, you want to get intimacy? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, we're very, comp- that was that, but this is this. That's very compartmentalized, Right? Okay, come on. Look at the guys are like, yeah, boy. All right. Okay. (laughs) Preach that one, Ken. Okay. So men are like waffles. Everything's a compartment. It's work. It's family. It's it's whatever. Everything's a compartment. And they don't, we, we work really hard. I don't know if we work hard or not. It's just natural. They don't bleed into one another. One thing doesn't have anything to do with the other thing. And, and, but women aren't like waffles. Women are like spaghetti. And everything is intertwined. (laughs) I mean, everything. Come on, where you at, ladies? Don't let you, right? I mean, every, everything. I mean, everything is intertwined. And so that, oh, I got to be careful. We're not at a marriage conference. <laughs> I got to be really careful. I remember I, was, I wanted to sell the house one time. We, we, sold, we bought and sold like seven houses in our young married life to just kind of make some money, remodel them and sell them. And, and I remember I wanted to sell a house. It was like, it was time. The market was good. Let's sell the house because the compartment for me was make some money. And then she said, well, I like this house. And we've remodeled this house. And the kids have friends down the road. And the next door neighbor has a dog that comes over every day. And there's flowers and there's bumblebees and there's butterflies. And there's, I'm like, wow, if I ever experienced spaghetti, everything was connected, right? And men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. And it seems that in today's culture, we have tried really hard. Society seems like it's trying really hard to eradicate the differences that make us the unique together picture of who God wants us to be. And, and so we've worked really hard. We, we, I think society has worked hard to eradicate the differences in the name of equality. And so it sounds noble. It sounds nice. Nobody's better than anybody. That sounds nice. And while there is truth in the statement that a man is not better than a woman or a woman's not better than a man... It is still true, however, that God created us very different, and he assigned to us different roles. Can I at least get a oh me on that one, all right? 
So last week, I got in some dangerous territory as I laid some theological groundwork for marriage, and, and I wanted to try to tackle this whole idea of mar- marriage a little bit different than I have in the past. And, and so last week, we laid some groundwork of theology, and, and, and the theology is that God created marriage. He created the institution of marriage. That's why the first reason why we ought to honor this institution called marriage. That sounds terrible. Terrible, doesn't it? it sounds like prison you know it's like yeah but anyway that's what it is and Genesis it says this <laughs> let's get to scripture before I get in trouble Genesis chapter number two says this and I read this verse last week and I could tell and I didn't have time to deal with it that I stepped on a nerve because it goes totally against what society is teaching, uh, especially our young ladies. And, and here's, I, I won't read verses 18 through 25, but I'm just going to read this verse. And it says this, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Or as you heard last week, all one. Okay. And, and, and so God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, if you're a lady in the room or particularly a younger lady that didn't grow up in church, you might think, that is so chauvinistic, that is so second rate, that is so second class, that I'm just a helper. It sounds kind of like your role has been reduced then to be some kind of second class assistant that makes dinner. And that is not that word at all. So I went back, and actually Carmen helped me with this. We went back and we did some digging on the word helper. And the word helper is a Hebrew word. And, and, and in its uh, easiest definition, uh, I'll give you a definition, but then I want to explain it. In its easiest definition, it means rescuer. Come on, ladies. And how many of you know, us poor men, we need some rescuing, right? Uh, I, I mean, we might as well get real in here because I'm going to keep stepping on it until you guys, all right? And it means rescuer. But not only does it mean rescuer, it means rescuer, um, if we were describing it in our Western culture and in our paradigm of what we know, the word rescuer here would almost mean like a superhero coming to the rescue and saving the day. Now, how many of you ladies like that definition a whole lot more than make dinner? Come on now, right? Now, come on, guys. Here's your chance right here. If you think you're in trouble already by any chance, how many of you husbands are glad that you have a helper rescuer? A couple of you guys are going to have a good afternoon. The rest of you, good luck. All right? It's a helper. And, and once, in one translation, it says help meet, which is an interesting word. See, if men don't lead or if men don't have vision, this doesn't mean that a woman can't be a leader. And I don't have time to justify everything I'm going to say. But if the man doesn't have a vision for his home, then it leaves her with no role to play because she's supposed to be the rescuer or help meet that goal, that direction. Help. Let me give you a practical example. One year we were trying to save a certain amount of money for something we were doing, and so I expressed, here's where we're going to try to go. We discussed that together. Here's our vision. Here's the target. It was a financial target. So now she had a role to help me to know where we, could, how much money we could spend on groceries, how much money we could spend on things, because now we are partnering and going towards that. If I was left to my own, I wouldn't have a help meet to help me get there or a rescuer when I got off course. 
Come on now. Show us your capes, ladies. Come on, right? Okay, yeah. And, and remember, God made her because Adam was not good. That's what it said. Because it wasn't good that he was alone. Now, let me cover one more controversial verse in our culture today. Another very misunderstood controversial verse, which is going to show up in this series and the next series, is Ephesians chapter number 5. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now, how many know if I said that outside of church, I'd get tomatoes thrown at me, right? Right? Isn't that true? In fact, some of you are looking for tomatoes right now. But remember, it is God that assigned the roles. It is up to us to understand what they are. God didn't create first-rate and second-rate citizens or or individuals. Um, And so if this is true, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and um, and, and his body of which he is the Savior. Let me... Marriage is dual leadership. When, when it says for the husband ought to be the head, it's not some macho, chauvinistic, I lead, you follow. It has nothing. It really doesn't have a whole lot to do even with leadership when it says he's the head. Marriage is dual leadership. When we decide what direction we're going as a family, that is a negotiation. It's conversation. Come on, am I right? And, and, and here's where we are deciding to go. This is the life that we are, we are equally as one deciding to build together. So it's, it's dual leadership, but watch this. Here's what headship means. It means that man is first in the responsibility of the progress toward the target you're going towards. Woo, come on, ladies are like, I like that a lot. Yeah, that, that's what it means. It's dual leadership, but man is first in responsibility. Now, remember, God created man first and gave him responsibility. He gave man a position before he gave him a person. So, men, we naturally understand responsibility. Let me prove this to you scripturally, and then I want to move into the Old Testament. Uh, remember in the garden when sin happened and the forbidden fruit was eaten? Everybody knows that story, right? Okay, now follow me. This is not a trick question. Who sinned first? Okay, thanks. Yeah, you're afraid to say that, aren't you? Okay, yes, that's the right answer. Eve, okay, let me say it this way so it doesn't sound so strong. Who ate the forbidden fruit first? Okay, that sounds better, right? We didn't sin. We just, we we were hungry. All right, okay. Yeah, like that chocolate cake. Anyway, okay, yeah. So Eve sinned first, okay? Now Adam sinned also, but Eve sinned first. She took the forbidden fruit. She negotiated with the enemy, all of that. But watch as God comes down in the cool of the evening to meet with them, and who does God make responsible for what happened? Who does God talk to first? He talks to Adam first. He doesn't go to Eve and say, what's your problem? He goes to Adam because God had already set up divine order that you would be the head. In other words, you'll be responsible for what's going on. And too often in our culture, men have allowed the women to be responsible for how the kids grow up or how they're raised or who goes to church or when we go to church. But the Bible says, men, come on, to pull up your big boy pants and be responsible and take charge and lead. Can I say that on a Sunday? Are you guys all right? 
All right, and, uh, and often I believe what prevents us from living happily ever after is not really understanding our roles or our differences. Okay, now last week I told you I wanted to do something a little bit different in this series, and rather than just speak arbitrarily on marriage and kind of the, I guess, the basic things that would be natural inclination for all of us. I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to look backwards into the Old Testament. I wanted to pull some marriages out of the Old Testament, and I wanted to use those marriages or relationships to discuss some principles that we can all apply, whether we're dating, whether we're divorced, whether we're shopping, whether our marriage is good, or whether our marriage is bad. And I think that probably covers just about everybody in the room, all right? So that's what I want to do. So let's dive into that right now. And, and I'm not saying that these marriages are necessarily good. I'm not pulling them forward over the next few weeks because they're a marriage to model. It's just that in looking at them, we'll find some principles, all right? So today, I want to go back into the Old Testament, and I want to pull out Jacob, and I want to pull out Jacob's dating life for just a moment, his pre-married life into his married life, and, and, and I want us to read between the lines just a little bit. So if you know the story, Jacob's ready to get married, and so he goes to the well. Now, there's a whole lot more to that, but he shows up to the well, and there he sees Rachel. Whoop, whoop. Come on, I mean, he sees Rachel. And really, if you look at this, uh, and, and now I'm going to add a little between the lines, but the principles are still fa- uh, fair. He falls in love with her. Well, I don't know if he falls in love with her, but he falls in, at least he falls in lust with her, all right? And he says, man, and, and, and he's like, I, I think I want to claim this woman's life in the name of the Lord uh, or something like that, all right? But here's what he's thinking. He's thinking, now I know we can't tell what he's thinking, but I think I have some facts to prove this. He's thinking that if I could just marry this girl, then finally my life will have meaning. Ooh, it's a dangerous trap. If I can marry this person, then everything that's wrong in the world will be made right. Now, now I know I'm reading a little bit into the story, so give me a little bit of grace, but let me give you some facts that I think that we could all conclude, okay, I get where you're coming from. Fact number one, number one is that Jacob uh, never had the love of his father. If you go back and study this, so Jacob had all kind of father wounds. Uh, and when we men, when we have father wounds and we don't have a father that tells us how great we are, we will look for either a business to build and accolades to tell us how great we are, or, excuse the term, we will look for women to conquer so they will tell us how great and awesome we are. When we don't have the love of a father, it leaves a void of a voice that we will look for oftentimes either through the female uh, or we'll look through it through the, the things that we accomplish in life and the accolades that we get. So we know that Jacob never had the love of his father, but watch this, Jacob lost the love of his mother. Okay, so if you read the story, she turns on him. It's a disastrous family situation. So not only did he not have the love of his father, he lost the love of his mother. And then watch this. At this time in his life, he really didn't grasp the unconditional love of God. 
So now, I'm not loved by my dad, I'm not loved by my mom, and I'm not sure that God loves me. How many know that's a train wreck waiting to happen? And so he does what a lot of Americans do. In fact, Jacob, are you from America? Because this sounds like our society, so he goes out on a Friday night, got his hair combed, got his beard trimmed, got, uh, he's got cologne on, got the car, camels washed. I mean, he is, and he is on the prowl because if I can find the love of my life, then everything that's wrong with my life will be made right in my life. Oh, I know I'm destroying some romantic bubbles right now. So it is no wonder that he is thinking, if I could just marry her, this marriage, watch this, will fill the void or feel the emptiness that I so deeply feel. Now, the reason I picked up on this in the story is because up, uh, th- up to this point, this is my story in my life. I grew up without my father, didn't know the father's love. I had a very angry mother. Now, I'm not throwing stones at her. Uh, hurting people hurt people. She had an extremely rough childhood. She didn't know how to show love. And, and so I grew up in that. And then, so I started looking for other voices. I became a hard worker because I thought if I work hard, then I'll be appreciated and people will sing my praises. And I became a performance-minded professional Christian. Come on. And I still didn't even know God's love the way I needed to know God's love. I mean, no, that puts a lot of pressure on somebody to be married to all that mess, right? Now, I say that being a little bit silly, but it's a little bit, it's more true than silly because I was expecting a whole lot from her because I didn't understand what I'm going to preach to you today. Genesis chapter number 29. Here's the story starting in verse number 16. Now, Laban had two daughters. That's Rachel's daughter. Uh, uh, father. He had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah had, now notice this. This is interesting that the Bible would bring this up. It says that that Leah had weak eyes, okay? I'm going to define that in a minute. But Rachel, that doesn't mean she needed glasses, okay? We'll, We'll come back to that. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, watch what he says, I will work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Wow, he's got it bad, doesn't he? All right. Laban said, it is better that I give her, because really the oldest daughter was first in line to be married. That's why there's this negotiation going on. It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Okay. I'm just playing around. It is sweet. Now, I want you to remember that last line. It just seemed like a few days. Okay, I want you to remember that line. Now, some scholars think, now, let's go back and talk about Leah for a minute. Some scholars think that that means that uh, Leah, it wasn't just that she couldn't see good when it says that she had deformity in her eyes. As you dig into this, some scholars believe that she perhaps had a deformity actually in her face that caused her not to be able to see good. At bare minimum, every Bible scholar that I've studied after, at bare minimum, they agree that there was some deformity with her eyes, okay? Uh, And um, 
And, and, and so what they really agree on is that she wasn't physically attractive. But Rachel, they went on to say, was lovely, lovely in form and beautiful. Matter of fact, I don't know if we've ever shown this before, but scholars have recently found a picture of Leah and her, how she looked. And we're going to show it to you guys here today. There she is. All right. Thought we might need a little comic relief. Yeah, so, uh, woohoo! Wow! All right. Some guys are like, you got her number? You know, okay. Now, in our, please take that down. I can't preach with that in back of me, all right? In our world today, here's the problem external looks is often overvalued. I'm going to say that again because I didn't hear any manly amens. In our world today, because of social media, because of the prevalency of pornography, because every picture we look at is airbrushed and touched up, and she took 8,000 pictures to post one, come on somebody, then we, we overvalue physical beauty and undervalue emotional and spiritual beauty. Amen? Now... While I say that, guys, I'm on your side and I'm a guy also, I do believe we should be attracted to our spouse. We were at a marriage retreat one time just attending and and our table talk asked me, so what attracted you to your wife first? And I said, her looks. And they got mad at me. They they got mad at me. I said, look, this is an honest answer. I seen her and, and, and if she looked like Leah, I wouldn't have gone up to get to know her more. Okay, if there ought to be some kind of chemistry or some kind of attraction, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Now, I fell in love with much more than that, but that's what first drew me. Come on, give a brother a break, all right? Okay, but at the same time, come on, how many know it's got to be more than that? Hmm? And, and I know right now, go ahead and look at your spouse and say, he's not talking about you. All right, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's got to be more than that because how many have been married in here uh, at least 20 years? Let me see your hands. Okay. Uh, Any 30 years in here? (laughs) Things change. And that beautiful hunk of man that you married. uh, Notice I'm going to pick on the guys. I'm not brave enough to pick on the ladies. (laughs) When she married me, I just want you guys to know. I should have brought a picture. Man, I had muscles. I mean, like, I was qualified to compete on a national stage in bodybuilding. I had black, long hair. I, I'm, I mean, come on, Tony. Don't even put your hair down, boy. <laughs> Satan, get behind me, all right? Uh, I always say to her, I tricked her. People come to our house and see our early marriage pictures, and they say, who was Patty's first husband? And I, I kick them out. I, you're not allowed here anymore, all right? Uh, uh, But let me be a father here for just a moment for the girls in the room that might not have a fatherly voice. And and I hear it all the time because I do so many weddings. And and let me be dad for just a moment because usually the woman will say something like, wow, he's so hot, or whatever the word is now. You know, like we used the number system in my day, like, ooh, she's a nine, you know. And that grosses your kids out when you talk like that. Like, what, mom, shut up, right, okay. But wow, he's so hot. And and so my first question as a fatherly voice is, does he have a job? Come on, dads, are you with me? Does he have a job? Well, he's just so hot. Okay, well, does he have a relationship with God? Well, he doesn't really like to talk about those things. 
Okay, well, does he know how to pray? Well, his eyes. Man, when you look at those blue eyes, you just melt. Okay, you're not hearing a word I say, so let's fast forward a little bit. You guys get married, you have a baby, and your baby is really sick, and you ask him to pray for your baby that is really sick. I want to know, is he going to pray? Does he know how to pray? Does he know how to get in touch with God? Well, I don't know. So basically what you're telling me is that he's going to be able to look at this sick baby who maybe be about ready to die and look into the baby's eyes, and the sickness is going to melt off because he has those kind of eyes, right? Come on. Does he know God? The point I'm trying to make is don't try to build a marriage on external factors only, and it is happening more and more and more and more in our society. All right, everyone? This is, is very likely what was going on in Jacob's life. He is thinking, my whole life is empty. If I can just marry this one, then my life is finally going to get better. That's what he's thinking. Now, when I look at this story in the scripture, I come up with three problems when we wrongly believe that marriage is the answer. So you might think I'm preaching to married folks, but all you dating singles, please lean into this. Please hear this old gray beard bald guy trying to help you make right decisions in your life. Because when you wrongly believe that marriage or that perfect somebody is the answer, when you believe that, you will. I'm going to give you three downfalls that will happen if you believe that philosophy that society is feeding. Number one is you will compromise more than you should. When you believe that person is going to fulfill all your needs, what will happen, and I'll prove this to you through Scripture, you will compromise more than you should. You, 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 will, you, you, you give up on some things that are important to you. You start saying, well, that's not that important, and that conviction's not that important. And, and you start giving up things, not only that are important to you, if you really go a long way, you'll start giving up things that are important to God. Well, Sunday's his only day off, so that's the day we spend together. Yeah, but it used to be the day you spent with God. Come on now. Now, let me get back to the scripture to prove this out. Jacob is going to give seven years of his life to Rachel. Now, let me explain that. That seems like seven years. I know husbands, now's a good time to whisper over and say, I'd give 70 for you, babe. All right, that's what you ought to But in that culture, what would happen is a man would purchase his bride. I I'm just the reporter. Don't boo me, all right? And, and he would purchase his bride with money, with land, with livestock, or with work. Okay, and, and so, um, yeah, isn't that incredibly romantic? <laughs> I mean, right? Okay, and, and, and so I want you to notice something, and I read the scripture to you. Jacob's very first offer to her father, just so you understand the times, was four times more than the normal offer would be. Because he's thinking, i got to have her, watch this, no matter what. I wish people would be like, I need church and God no matter what, right? And, and so if you read between the lines, you've got this say, guy saying that exact thing, I will do anything I have to. He's not saying this, but he's saying this. I will compromise. I will give up. I will lose myself. I got to have this one person no matter what it takes, which is, doesn't that sound kind of familiar? It's the very same thing we see people doing so often today. Well, he's not really that great to me, but if I marry him, maybe I can change him. 
I call that missionary dating. Missionary dating is I'm going to try to convert him, all right? Well, convert him before I do, please. Um, and, and, and women have more of a tendency to do that because women have so much nurturing and faith. They think, oh, I can shape them up. I can fix them up. Woo, I'll, I'll get them cleaned up. I'll get them straightened out. And, or, or she's a strong Christian, and she's dating a guy who, who, who's not. And, and so the compromise is, well, you've got to at least come to church with me. Forget serving God. Just show up to church with me. That's all. And so she's compromising. But, but, but when marriage is your answer, you will compromise more than you should. When, when, when you're looking for that perfect somebody, even dating, I said this last week, you're not looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You're looking for a spouse. And the moment you realize that is not the person that I need to spend the rest of my life with, then you are being selfish to continue the dating relationship only out of selfish reasons. Woo, I know, I know, I know. You thought you came to this contemporary church, and where's all this old-fashioned stuff coming from, all right? Number two, if you think that marriage will be the answer, then number two, the second problem is you tend to become very demanding. Watch the progression. Here's how it works. Watch. So, so what I did was I compromised some of myself so that we could get married. And now this is not what I was expecting, and so now I become very demanding. And I use words like, you never, you always. And I become very demanding. It's a natural progression. I compromised, I didn't get what I wanted, so now I'm very demanding. And see if it doesn't come true in Jacob's life. We'll see it play out right here. Genesis 29, verse number 21. I think I'm going to go through verse number 23. Then Jacob said to Laban, okay, seven years have passed, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. Again, isn't that romantic? He had worked his seven years. Then Jacob said to Laban, basically what he's saying, I've done my part. Now send her over to me for her to fulfill her part. You see how shallow this is? It's what we call, it's a contract. I do my part, you do your part. And that's how many marriages are built today. I do my part, you do your part. It's a contract. And, 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 and again, in the original Hebrew language, I'm going to try to contextualize this the best I can after studying some of the original. Uh, it, it's not polite. Uh, it's not honoring. Uh, it, it, it's not tender. What, what he is saying is very dishonoring to the father and very dishonoring to the daughter. Basically, again, he's saying, I did my part. Now she better do hers. Well, there's a wonderful honeymoon for you, right? Let me, without uh, side-noting too far, let me just say this. And this is something that we learned the hard way. In marriage, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. Boop. See you guys next Sunday. <laughs> it's true. You don't get what you deserve. I made the critical mistake one time. It only took me one time. Now, most other things took me at least 8 million times to learn. But I learned this one time because I used the word deserve. And here's how it played out. You already think bad of me, so here goes some more. I came home one day, and I don't remember the whole situation, nor will I bore you with the details, but I was looking for the scissors. Now, first of all, the house was immaculate. I mean, it was neat. It was clean. My wife has always kept a very nice, neat 
clean house, okay? And, and I was looking for the scissors, and I couldn't find the scissors. Well, in her haste to clean the house, she put the scissors in a different place than she did the time before. And to be fair to me, and the time before that, and the time before that, not throwing Patty under the bus, but you need to understand the facts, ladies and gentlemen, because I hear, I feel some booze coming on, all right? And I got mad. I'm like, where are the scissors? How come every time I look for the scissors, is it your mission in life to hide the scissors from me? I don't remember, like, for death do us part, in scissors or no scissors. I don't remember that part. Where are the scissors? And I heard her feelings. And, and I said this. Now, the, you got to imagine, this is what a jerk, I'm still a recovering jerk, so give me some grace, all right? I, I said to her these statements. Now, the house is immaculate. She's made me dinner. And I say, I deserve to come home to a house that is in order. Go ahead and get your booze out of the way. Okay, now can we continue with the sermon? Like you've never done nothing like that? And she said some things to me that we discovered this principle. That we don't get what we deserve. We get what we negotiate. See, she didn't know it was that important to me to have the scissors. Now, you got to understand, my background, I grew up in chaos. I didn't know where I was going to live from one moment to the next. And so order for me is paramount. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I was like freaking out like I must be demon possessed because I'm mad about a pair of scissors. And she said to me, she said, honey, I'll put those beautiful scissors wherever you want those scissors. She probably had some imagination where she wanted to put the scissors. She said, I will put them scissors where you want them. We bought a thing, a little knife thing, sits by the, the stove. To this day, the scissors are always right there. She said, I can put the scissors where you want, but don't talk to me like that. She said, I can do this, but I need you to do that. It's negotiation. And, and, and now I, I and, and from then on, every time I would start getting upset about anything, she would say, scissors. And, and then I'd start getting upset, and she wouldn't even say scissors. She'd go grab the scissors and come after. <laughs> you don't get what you deserve. So quit getting a chip on your shoulder because I deserve. You don't deserve jack. What you, do, what you get is what you negotiate. Because how are we supposed to read your mind and know what's important? Let me show you how this plays out. Because the guy will come to the table, and we started doing this on our date nights. And the guy will come to the table and, and say, okay, I'll start. What's the negotiation? And the guy will say something like this. He might say it nicer than this, but he might say something like, well, I just want more sex. And she's like, oh, okay, well, uh, we can do that, but I want to be honored more. Oh, okay, that's how that works. Okay, all right. Uh, 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 can we move on to the next thing? And the guy then might say something like, well, I, I want more sex. And then and she might say, is that funny? I, I don't know. Anyway, and she might say something like, well, I want to be heard. And okay, we can do that. All right, you want to go to the next one? Sure. And the guy might say something like, I want more sex. And she might right? You, you understand what I'm saying? Or, or she might start and say, look, I, I just want you to listen to me more. Okay, I can do that. Oh, great, honey, that's wonderful. What can I do for you? Just talk less. That would be wonderful, right? <laughs> See how that works, everybody? All right. 
Quite honestly, this is what's happening in so many marriages today. Rather than being in a covenant, we've gotten into a contract. A covenant is I sacrifice what's best. I sacrifice me for us. Contract says you better do your part before I do my part. And what we have going on today is more contracts, but God created a covenant. That's why we come to a church, we stand in front of our family and friends, and we make a promise first to God, and then we look at each other and say, I do to each other. Because there's a covenant going on, and that's what I talked about last week in the mystery, that it's a mystery that I would give up some of me so that we could become one. This is not a business deal. This is a promise to love you and honor you and become one with you for the rest of my life. Amen? All right. All right. Um, I know I'm already out of time. So it, it, sometimes it, it feels like we're, um, we're more in a covenant when we're dating, right? We tend to serve each other more when we're dating. Like, like, uh, like if she had a cold when we're dating, I would go like hunting chickens, shoot a chicken, bring the chicken home, pluck the chicken, uh, cut up the chicken and make chicken soup for her. Dun, da, da, da. That's covenant right there. We've been married five years, and I'm like, girl, you need some chicken noodle soup, man. I'm what you need, right? We, we've been married 35 years, and I'm like, girl, you need to get in the car and go down to Hagen's and get some chicken noodle soup because <laughs> your coffin is interrupting my game, you know? Okay, you guys get what I'm saying, right? Okay. <laughs> Um, where should I go from here? Um, <laughs> let me get to the third one. I'll just go to the third one. You guys following me back there? Let's skip those couple pages. Number three is if you think that person's going to be the answer, you will compromise more than you should. You will tend to become very demanding. I'll end with this. You will always be dissatisfied. You'll always be dissatisfied. And it's a progression. It works like this. I'm going to compromise something that's important to me, and all the while you're, you're, you're slightly angry because you compromised to get that person. Uh, and, and so now you start demanding because now you're in the relationship, and you start demanding. And then all of a sudden, man, I'm demanding, I'm nagging, I'm yelling, and I don't mean that female or male. It's just, I'm, and, and it's not what I want, and this is not what I hope for. We enter marriage with so many expectations, and there is no way that anyone, anyone, anyone could fulfill all of them. What we have done is we've set our spouse up for guaranteed failure. And that's what's going on in this story. Let me bring this point out, and then we'll wrap and call it a day. Genesis 29. This is one of the most bizarre stories in the entire Bible. If you've never read this, yes, it's in there. Check this out. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. There's a wedding taking place, okay, is what's going on. But when evening came, he took his daughter, what? Leah. Remember, he worked seven years for Rachel. There's a wedding ceremony going on. There's wine flowing. I mean, okay? And he brought her to Jacob. And Jacob, watch this, made love to her. When morning came, there was Leah, exclamation point. Can you imagine the panic? What? Right? It's in the Bible. I can't help it. I'm just so, so Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I have served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you 
deceived me. There is so much there, and there are so many questions about this verse. It's impossible, but is it possible for us that he was so selfish and that he was so blind to who she was that he never seen her? Now, I know there's so many. Can you imagine waking up and like, uh-oh, what happened? There's a lot to ask about that. I mean, it really is like, wow, you were that into your honeymoon that you forgot to look? I mean, you know, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch here going on, but I don't want you to miss the point. Could we be blind, so blind by our own needs and our own wants and our own 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 that we are blind to what they might need? That's covenant. That's covenant, right? And maybe you feel like Jacob. Watch this. Please don't amen right here. Just look straight forward like you have no idea what I'm talking about. But maybe this is what's happened to some of you. You woke up one day and you say, this is not who I expected to marry. This is not what I was planning on. I'm sure if my wife was honest and we could go back about 33 years and she would answer this question honestly she would say this is not what I was expecting when I stood in front of my family and said I do wow Mm. this is going to happen to you anytime that you think someone else can meet all your needs you will wake up one day and go they're not meeting that is not the person I expected them to be Ooh, it's quiet in the house today. You're always, whenever you think they're going to fill every one of your needs, watch this, you will always wake up with Leah instead of Rachel. Because you expected something that it is impossible for you to get. We have been taught and conditioned to really be fulfilled in life. That, that you have to find the one. That's what society said, right? You watch any movie today. Go home and watch any romance movie. And when they see the one, the music, the, the, I mean, the whole score of the movie changes, right? It's like the hallelujah chorus. Just, oh, it just started, right? And we're conditioned if we can find the one. Because I have to close, I'll close it this way. But your one should always be Jesus. Because only Jesus can can fulfill all your needs. Amen, everybody? i got to stop right there. i got to stop. I'm out of time, okay? Now, I hope you hear that, and, and, and I hope you'll stick with me through this series because we're going we're gonna to work some of those things out. But our number one ought to be Jesus, right? He is Jireh. He is our provider. He's the only one. And as we grow closer to him, we'll grow closer to one another. Amen. Would you stand with me all over this place? i got to let you go.